Welcome to a brand new week of Late Lunch at the start of a brand new month for us as well. Hope you had a nice weekend. Mixed weather in the week ahead. I'm just looking at the forecast. It always seems to come on just as I come on air as I watch the TV screens in studio here. Oh, she's mixed. Will it settle again? Let's hope it will. Well, settle yourselves down for a fantastic two hours now with us on Late Lunch. And we begin with a young man who's simply, I'm sure, over the moon. We spoke to him a couple of weeks ago on uh, foot of him winning the East of Ireland Golf Championship followed by the St Andrews Lynx Trophy. He's been over at the Amateur in the UK and he did really well over there and he is now going to the Open Championship, the Open Championship itself at Royal Liverpool Hoylake Golf Club. Alex Maguire, the heartiest congratulations. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's a nice, uh, nice ring to it, doesn't it? Oh, has it a ring to it, Alex? Well, listen, you're a man for brinkmanship because, you see, there were three events, as uh, I'll tell our listeners involved here. Um, you know, the St. Andrew's Link Trophy, the Amateur Championship I mentioned, and the European Amateur, which was the weekend just gone by. You didn't go to the European. Why was that? I was just a scheduling thing. I, I mean, I played... It would have been my sixth event in a row. Right. And it would have been the sixth out of eight weeks in a row. So I was like, I mean, <sighs> there was just no room to mm. to go to it. I mean, if I was going to take a week off, it would have been the week of the East based on the schedule. But I was no no way in hell I was going to miss the week of the East over here um, with it being so close to home. So a lot of guys took the week off at East so they could play the European Am, But... Uh, yeah, uh, look, look, it worked out for me. Yeah. It worked out for me in the end, but it was just a scheduling thing. Like mm. in, in hindsight, I wish I had uh, I entered it and played it, but. Um yeah, luckily I didn't have to in the end. Yes, you can only stretch yourself so far. I hear what you're saying, Alex. Were you, you must have been on tenterhooks watching it, were you? Or were you keeping yeah, in touch? It was, yeah, it was on the edge of my seat for a few days. I looked at the scores on the first day and then I sort of put the, put the scores away for the next few days because there's so much that can happen and chopping and changing and then towards the end of the last day I was on my phone doing the calculations and like how many points the lads would get and, and could anybody catch me and there was a few guys who were uh, very very close and it made it, <laughs> made it very close for myself to watch but um, yeah luckily at the end of the day uh, I had enough points to, uh, to go to the Open Fantastic so Hoy Lake here you come and I just look at the other names doesn't this sound good Rory McElroy, Shane Lowry Seamus Power Pauri Carrington and Alex Maguire. Uh, it's, it's, it's actually, to be honest, it, it's quite incredible that I uh, that I'm in the list. I was uh, with my girlfriend yesterday, and I was looking through the the entry list, and I'd seen my name like two two names above Rory. Mm. Um, so it was quite surreal, and it's a I mean, what an amazing opportunity it is to tear up with those lads. And uh, yeah, like to be honest, I just really can't. Uh, I can't really believe it. I'll probably start believing it once I uh, get on the boat on the way over in a few weeks. But for now, uh, yeah, still sort of on cloud nine. Between now and then, what's the plans and what's your preparations going to be like ahead of it? And when do you go over? Yeah, so I've got the European Team Championships with Ireland now uh, over in Belgium that starts next week. So I I get the flight over this Saturday the 8th and then play that European Team Championships with the team. Which will be an amazing week. My first time playing it with the with the Irish squad, and then we fly back on the 16th on the Sunday in the morning, and then I get home for maybe an hour. I'll try wash as many clothes as I can, and then pack a bag and get the ferry over at, uh, at half two on the Sunday to um, to Hollyhead. So it's uh, yeah, not much time to 
to rest in between now and then with the European teams. But yeah, I wouldn't have it any other way. But um, yeah, I'll try. I'll try get uh, as many clothes as I can cleaned and, and dry <laughs> before I head over. You're a great fella. The domestics have to be done too. You see, it just doesn't happen. You don't have everything done for you like some of them. Um, you know, I'm sure the next thing on your mind is you'll be looking to the draw and see who you're paired with. You know, if you're mm. paired with, you know, a, an open championship winner with some of the top 10 in the world, which you may well be, how, how will that sit with you? How will you feel about that? Let's be honest, I won't know until I get on the first team. Um, yeah, I haven't played with any of those guys. I've played with Larry once, which I was fortunate enough to uh, get the opportunity. But, like, look, to be honest, uh, I'd love to be able to play with, um, you know, well-known players and people that I look up to. Mm. But uh, at this stage, I don't really care who I play with, to be honest. As long as I'm teeing off on that first hole and my name's announced, uh, it will just it's an added bonus if I play with some guys who are... Yes. You know, like top ten in the world, and people like you say, like Rory or Shane or any of the Irish guys, that would be a, a massive bonus. But I'm not quite sure how I'll deal with the pressure of it. I'll probably, I'll let you know. After yeah, the yeah, you will, you will. I'll be dying to hear what you have to say at that stage. I'll keep you to that one, Alex. The other thing sure. is for listeners today, the claret jug is for the winner of the championship, and of course, your aim going out is to go for that claret jug. You're in the field now uh, mm. with the rest there. But as an amateur, uh, the other prestigious award at the Open Championship is the silver medal. And I've just been looking at some of the amateurs at the time who won the silver medal. 1996, Tiger Woods. 1998, Justin Rose. 2007, Rory McIlroy. 2013, Matthew Fitzpatrick. All major winners afterwards. Alex, Alex, the silver medal? Uh, yeah, the silver medal obviously is a massive goal. I mean, I'd mm. love to be able to be the low amateur. Um but I think there's. I was told once uh, a few years ago, if you're if you're trying to make the cut, you'll be around the cut line, and if you're trying to win, you'll be around the top of the leaderboard. So, like, frankly, my aim is to go out and try to win the Open. Um, yes, of that, course. That, that's sort of my aim. Like, yeah. and obviously, you've got some uh, realists out there who say it's not possible. But you look at 2015, where Paul Dome was leading the Open after three rounds, and mm. all you've got to do is just stick to your process and. Um, who knows if your game was better than all those guys just for one week of the year mm. um, but yeah obviously if the Open doesn't go my way the <laughs> silver medal is obviously um, pretty much my main target going into it yeah I wonder has anyone ever won because I don't know this the, the claret jug and the silver medal I think the silver then would go to the next highest amateur if that were to mm. happen that yeah. would be some some achievement but I agree with you you are going out with those 150 plus others there to actually aim for the claret jug tell us a little bit while you're with me I I never asked you this before for our listeners to build a picture of you. Yeah. Was golf in your family? Where did the golf come from? How did it start? It's a strange thing. I mean, my mother's family, there's a lot of my mother's family down in sort of Lake Town to Betty Sound and Mornington area. And a lot of her male cousins and sort of uncles played golf. So that's where the majority of the, uh, the golfing influence came from. But it was more so my dad. My dad and my dad's mates and... Um, he got me into it when I was eight and I didn't really like it because I was playing soccer at the time and then I went back to it when I was 11 and yeah, obviously my dad, my dad's mates were for, like were excellent in bringing me out and giving me a lot of time and advice and then my mother's side of the family, she saw so much influence of, of cousins and older people to sort of bring me out on a Saturday and um, that's where it came from. Yeah, like a, my dad's a golfer. He's not. He's not the best golfer in the world now. He's he, he's sort of a retired golfer now as he's traveling around with me as much as he can. And um, so yeah, like my dad plays, but a lot of the sort of 
the start of it was my mom's side with her uncles and her her grandfather um, bringing me out. So, yeah, there's always been golf in my life, and luckily I've uh, I've sort of stuck with it till now. Yes, your dad living the dream too. What a dream yeah, that yeah. is as well with you. What you what have you a coach? Have you somebody coaching or who has coached you? Yeah, I've got a guy down in um, he coached out of Carton House in, in Kildare. His name is Donald Scott. He is the uh, high performance coach for the ladies team, and I've been with him since I was about fifteen. So for the last seven years, I don't really like changing coaches too much, um, even if it's going bad. You know, like you sort of you stick with it. You'll come through the other side, and and it'll be better. And I've done that so far, and he's been a, a massive help to me. And I'm actually going to see him tomorrow now, and I'll try get as much advice off him as I can for mm. going into the Open because it's so new for me like I don't really know what's going on don't know what to do don't know yes. where to be going that week so um, I'll try I'll try get as much advice off him as I can Who'll caddy for you? That's another question I don't <laughs> there's a few things like I've got my friend Jack McDonald who is uh, my best friend since I was my four he's been on the bike for the last few years sort of the last year at the East the Amateur Championship this year and last year and things have gone well, so I, I might get him in the bag, but if somebody says, that's a silly idea, get a local caddy or get somebody else a caddy for you that has more knowledge and mm. um, knows the course better, then I, I'll listen to everybody who has some advice to give to me, and then I'll, uh, I'll add it all up, and then I'll come out with a, with a result. I'm not quite sure yet, so mm. I'd imagine that, that result with that uh, choice will be made maybe in the next five days. But yeah, once I have that solidified, then... Um, yeah, all of the sort of stress and the pressure of picking it will be gone. Uh, good and well-grounded thought process there, I have to say. Now, you cut your teeth and uh, tri- from a young age played on Leytown, Bettystown's Lynx. And of course, the Open Championship is a Lynx, the East of Ireland, the St Andrews Trophy. I take it you're at most at home on Lynx golf courses. Yeah, like I've had a, a lot of good results on Lynx and... Um, it's been very good to me over the past few years, you know, with Baltray and Betty Sound being my sort of two local clubs and growing up in, in Betty Sound. Um, it just sort of suits my eye. Like, I'd I'd hit the ball quite far, um, but for some reason, like, people would usually say I'd be good on parkland because it's high and long, but I, I, for whatever reason, I think Lynx just sort of suits my eye, especially with, like, approach shots. I like seeing the ball bouncing towards the flag and around the greens. I like putting it from off the greens and um, yeah, Hoylake would be no different. It's very similar to Baltray, sort of flat course and you've got to pick your own targets out there and there's not many uh, big, high sort of sand dunes like the likes of Portrush that you can sort of pick a target off um, and I've had some success around Baltray over the past few years so uh, hopefully Hoylake will be as good to me. I just love what you're saying there. I was there myself the last time the Open Championship was there and it's a, a beautiful course and described as you do there, that's exactly what it is. Well, look at between now and then, the best of luck to you at the European. Uh, we'll be keeping an eye on you at the Open Championship. Go and give it your best, young man. I know you will and we'll be all so proud of you. But congratulations again, Alex Maguire, on qualifying for the Open Championship. And uh, again, our best wishes go with you. Thanks a lot. Thank you for having me on today. Really Not at all. It. Take Thank care you. of yourself, Alex. Bye-bye. 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 Yes, Alex Maguire there. It's a little windy out there today. I'm sure he's out practising. Took time to have a chat with us as well. Isn't he a grand young fella? He really is. And you'd love him to do so well. It's on Lynx. He knows Lynx well. It's a huge step up. But who knows? We'll be watching closely indeed when the Open Championship comes round.
later on this month. You're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. And coming up next, yes, well, it's Sport Connected as well. Probably a different sport than you know him and he's ever been involved with. But anyway... Tommy Dowd is with me next on the show. I was rooting around at home on Saturday, came in for a cup of tea and an old bun for a break and I was watching the racing at the Curra and when big race was over, I spotted a face talking and I said, is that is that him? And I waited and put up the volume and be sure it was, it was Tommy Dowd and I think he was more excited than he was when he won an All-Ireland title. Tommy Dowd, afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Jerry. Well, were you more excited? Well, I suppose when you get to my stage of life in the mid fifties, it certainly was hard on the heart. Now, there's no doubt about it. But it was, it was a great occasion, and uh, the cracking celebrations then we had after was just—it was very much like an all Ireland to be quite honest with you. <laughs> Did you get home yet? It took a while, all right. Uh, it, it, it was at a very slow pace, and we got out of the, the current all on Saturday, but. I suppose that we'd a, we'd a full bus as well. So again, we rounded them all up. I tell you, it was it was uh, the early hours of the morning, shall we say? Not alone did you full bus. There's rumours were full as bingo buses, but anyway, that's for another day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> congratulations to you and the syndicate, because our listeners, some a lot of our listeners are probably wondering what are we talking about. Tell them about this horse. Pronounce his name for me first. It's a horse called Mashur. It's I think it's it's a. Uh, it could be Arabic. It's a, yes, yes. I think it means enchanted or charming or something along those lines. But it certainly, we we wouldn't uh, we wouldn't hold any of those titles, any of the lads involved <laughs> in the in the syndicate. Sure. But it was a horse that was uh, it was in England with Michael South for a while, and uh, it ran a couple of times for for him, and maybe they realised he wasn't going to be a good sire, to be big into breeding over there on his end of it. So uh, Johnny Mortabottom at the sales and. So we got involved with Johnny then, and so we've we've had a great run of it since. There's six of us involved there um, with the horse, so we have a great run since. Ever mm. since we we we, uh, we we started getting involved with them. Mm. And you won the Paddy Power International Stakes at the Curra on Saturday, and I know flat race, and it's dominated by a few big names and trainers. It's great to see. If I I'm not being disrespectful here, but you know the little guys beating the big fellas. Well, there's no doubt about it. Um, so we've had, there was, you had Joseph O'Brien with a horse, Aidan O'Brien with a horse, and Willie McCreary. I played football against Willie uh, from Kildare back in the day. Um, we had a good bit of banter with Willie, and of course our, our neighbour Noel Mead down here as well. So it, even though there was only five runners in it, Jerry, it still was a fairly hot contest. So we just weren't too sure when you're coming up against the O'Briens, you're not too sure how your horse will, will get on. But, uh, you know, we, we've... Uh, we had a great run and, and led from the front from start to finish and uh, didn't look back from there. Yeah, fantastic run altogether. And you are up against the best of the best for sure. Um, Kim, return to what, 6-1? to one. Was it a little better the day before or the week before, price-wise? I think it was 12-1. to one oh, the Friday oh, night. Now, we, no. we, uh, I don't, we, we weren't brave enough to, to, to go punting at that stage when you're coming up against the likes of Aiden and Joseph O'Brien, but... I think anyone that knows us or knows the colours maybe are maybe jumping on the bandwagon now when the horse is running. So I think it was all maybe a lot of local bets and that kind of thing mm. that, that brought them into that price. But a six to one in a five horse race is still a very, very good price. So, you know, we were all happy to get a few quid out of it anyway. Louise is just after confirming that the name of your horse, Mashur, right, means charmed. You were very close, Tommy. Charmed or spellbound in the Urdu language. There you are. That's our <laughs> Louise. 
there's good reporting for you there. Oh, uh, no, no better woman. woman. No. You have a good woman with you there. I have indeed. That's for sure. She went and made sure that we got it 100% right. <laughs> the syndicate, you say, there's what, six years involved? Is there a name on the syndicate? or? Uh... Yes, yeah, yeah, it's, it's called the Bruna Bowen, you syndicate. Be, there was, uh, originally, I wasn't involved at the time, but back a few years ago, there was a very good, good horse called um, Crush Ulton, and he won a few ra- few big races at the time. He was a five furlong horse, and they had a great bit of luck with him, but a few Cindy, a few of the lads have come and gone since, so the, the six was left there involved with, with Mashour, and uh, Kevin Carr probably being the main one, he was originally there, and his wife Cathy kind of put, put the few of us together, she's big into the horse, she's, she's a macketeer who'd be from a good horse background, and uh, we Joe Smith then, and James Cogan, Thomas Shanky, myself, and Seamus McGarry, and probably no Seamus, he does yeah. a lot of advertising, which is mm-hmm. there on LMFM, so... Uh, you know, six, six, five great lads uh, along with myself, and we, we, we really enjoy it. When we do get a winner, we really enjoy it. We know how to enjoy it yes. anyway. And why shouldn't you? And I just thought that I looked at you and thought, God, that man is as happy as ever I've seen him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, was well, Go on. We, we, yeah, when you win a race, that we've been lucky enough, I suppose, he's run nine times, Jerry, and he's won four so mm. you know a lot of trainers remember Jimmy Owen saying to me want him you go to 100 horses in a lifetime and only get a, a handful of winners but we're out having that in the last 12 months so very lucky syndicate and a very lucky horse and long may it last oh long may it last is right just before you go Mead for the Talton Cup will Colin be happy with the season staying in the in the division and getting to the final of this absolutely no doubt about it I, I know that uh, we, we got knocked out of Leinster out there original competition but it was great for them youngs to get all them games in Crow Park again and that's where they all want to play and we, we have a tough assignment out against Down but I've no doubt the lads will give a great account themselves a couple of very good young lads there and I no doubt give them another year or two and we'll be fighting for honours again Ah, uh, You will indeed Tommy you're very good best of luck to the Brunabonia Syndicate and uh, more wins down the road for you and happiness and joy thanks for joining me thanks very much Jerry take care take care yourself bye Tommy bye bye that's the wonderful Tommy Dowd there what a win the weekend for them my little saying from the calendar better not forget it do it on the first day of every month don't ask God to guide your footsteps if you're not willing to move your feet I love it it's a lovely lovely saying you know how we love our books on late lunch and a book I have sitting beside me here on the desk today I think I love more than many and that's not being disrespectful to others it's called The Language of Trees and it's described by the wonderful writer Max Porter as a masterpiece and having had it for the last while I can understand why the book is about how trees make our world change our minds and rewild our lives and it's by the wonderful Katie Holton she's an artist and activist born in uh, here in Ireland living in New York and also has big links to RD and I'm hoping she's there to say hello to me hi Katie thanks so very much it's lovely to be chatting with somebody in in our loud about this book tell me about your connection with RD we might as well start from there to get the local angle covered off well, I was born in Dublin, but we moved to Longford. So um, I grew up in Longford, but when I was 10, we moved to RD. Oh, so okay. I've, yeah, I'm have yeah, i from RD, but I don't really have the, 
the special. I can't roll my R's and do that special local <laughs> accent. <laughs> we'll forgive you for that. It's nice to have a, a neutral type of accent as well. So there you are. You are an RD girl if you take it that uh, you've been there for such a long time and have the associations uh, with the place. I meant every word I said about this book. It is simply tremendous, I have to say. And the great and good have all contributed to it. How did you manage to gather all these famous people together? Was it tough going? <laughs> well, it's it's more like a joy, really. It's been such a beautiful journey. And a lot of them, believe it or not, are actually friends. So I have, you know, I've, I'm getting older now, so I've been around a while. And I through my work, you know, as an artist, because I think being an artist is maybe one of the best jobs in the world. You can just knock on doors and, uh, you know, rock on up and say hello to somebody. And usually they they respond and they're excited to share their work. So, um, yeah, believe it or not, it's just been a matter of inviting people to say, hey, would you like to see your words and your work translated to trees? And usually everybody says, yes. The book came together really quickly. It was kind of made in, in one year. So it had to happen quickly. And it meant that it needed to be people that I already had relationships with and could just send a quick message um, to see if they were interested and Luckily enough, most people seem to be excited about the thought of seeing their words translated into trees. Katie Holton, you have mighty connections, may I say. You make it sound simple, but you have connections all over the world and they come (laughs) uh, to the fore in this book, I have to say. Explain your tree alphabet, because you do this in an interesting way. You go alphabetically through the book. What's the tree alphabet about? What's it based on? Well, very simply, the tree alphabet um, is where I've made a tree drawing for each letter of our Roman Latin alphabet. So all the the little letters, so the A, B, C, all the way through to Z, each one of those letters is replaced by a tree drawing. So A is apple, B is beach. And all of my tree drawings, I scanned them in, I worked with desire to turn them into font. So you can find them all on my website. You can download the font and write with trees. So it's that simple. You know, you can, when you're on your computer and you can change from, Ariel to Helvetica to Times. When if you have my font, you can translate everything into trees, and so that's um, that's how easy it is. You can just translate and turn everything into trees, letter by letter. So in the book, everything is translated letter by letter, word by word, into trees. And longer stories become really dense forests, kind of impenetrable and maybe hard to read. But then some of the you know the contributions are really short. One is just one word, so you can it's very easy to read. And part of the joy of the book, I hope, is that it's um, it's something you can dip in and out of. So you can read something that's really short and light and um, easy going, and then there's more dense complicated uh, scientific things because everything is sort of related to trees in one way or another Mm. but there's um, hopefully something for everyone I saw a review and Mm -hmm. I'm quoting from it that said like trees or like forests or like woodlands it's dark and dense bright and enchanting and I think that sums up uh, just what you said there and the book itself may I say I'm curious how did you fare out for the letters uh, X and Z yeah, good question. Um, they took me a little bit of uh, head scratching. The X, I think I used, I'm flipping through the book now to get to the, the tree alphabet. Um, because I've since I made this, um, because the, the long story, I don't know how long we have for our little chat, but um, I'll try and very quickly tell you the longer version of the story. Because my brother, John, who has a better RD accent than me, and is a writer as well, and he's got a publishing house in Berlin. So back in... Uh, 
2015, we made it called About Tree. And that's when I first made this tree alphabet. And that where this book already started was working with John. And so since then, when I, we made that book about trees, I realized, oh, we can actually make tree alphabets for specific places using trees that are happy to grow there. So I made a New York City tree alphabet because I've worked with the Parks Department and we can plant messages with trees. And then I made an Irish tree alphabet during lockdown. So that's why I, I just sometimes don't remember which trees are which letters because I've made a few different tree alphabets. <laughs> okay. But now I'm looking at the book um, and the very... Yeah, the very first page um, after the introduction by Ross Gay is the drawings. And you can see that the letter X is the xylem tree, which I discovered in New York was um, a native tree to Manhattan, which was called Manhattan. The Lenape people lived there. They were the you know the first people on the island of Manhattan, and they used the xanthosylum to cure toothaches because the bark had this um, lo- has a lovely numbing effect. So if you chew on it, I think in the Irish tree alphabet, I used um, X. I used Sitka spruce because that's got a long, mm. dark, the dark, dark, tense stories in the book, or well, not just the book, in our relationships with trees too, and especially in Ireland and what's going on now with forestry and our relationships with the history of how Ireland was forested. And we look at language maybe in a new way and appreciate each word and each letter because the tree alphabet slows us down, right? So when you look at the word forest, you have to really think, what is it you're reading when you read it in trees? And it's the same way in our English language which we've kind of taken it for granted and we think we know what these words are like we think we know what nature is or what forest is but um oh and the other one you asked me about i think was zed Zalkova. um so they're all uh, each tree in the the alphabet has its own little story Mm. oh it has and uh, may i say the book is added to immensely by the poetry the essays the recipes the quotations etc that run right through it i never realized there was so much to trees but i i was just thinking myself before you came on today and wrote down a few things about trees that were in my mind you know what i mean that you know trees they reflect the seasons uh, they're a mm-hmm. home to many uh, they were a plaything for us as children we loved a big tree that was in our neighborhood we spent hours and hours there the shade it can give from the elements and shelter it can be a food source the materials we draw from it on their demise they still go on um, you know and, and so on and so on I was thinking about all these things there's such an array of aspects to trees yeah and I hope that some of that comes through in the book that it, it really feels like you could have a hundred million or an infinite series of books about trees right because almost everything is in one way or another could be related to them and that was one of the the joys of making the book was it felt like you said there are a lot of different contributors and they come from all different places and they're all really special people and they have different stories and poems and music to share but it feels like everybody has a story to share about trees or has a secret or not a secret but especially the most special memories I have myself from when I was little was being with these and I think you know as I've traveled on the book tour I found that almost everybody has a a deep um a deep special memory to them and a time where they had a relationship with the tree and maybe they'd forgotten about it or maybe it still stayed with them but for me it's um I, I find that it's a way to to really get to the heart of falling in love with the world and I hope that this book is a way to to help people fall back in the world in, in love because I do think one of the problems we're having right now in this 
you know, it's a difficult time with wildfires happening and um, the climate emergency and this sense of uh, fear that we're, we're really rushing very quickly as a species into extinction. And that these are all very difficult topics to talk about and to try to wrap your head that our entire species could go extinct. Like this is almost impossible to comprehend. But if you use something as simple as a tree and these lovely, happy memories, and you know, trees are beautiful and silent. And it's, I hope, a way the tree alphabet is a way to maybe think about uh, difficult things in a really beautiful, um, happy, and hopeful way. Because trees live on. A lot of them, many of them, are a lot older than all of us. We're not even going to live as long as most of the trees and. We do love and respect the fact that they are bigger and better than us in many ways. Yes. They, they just they just do it silently. They just stand there and they just keep growing. But they always know when to stop growing. Mm. <laughs> Not like humans, we keep yes. growing. Yes, and I think of the deforestation of the Amazon and other issues like that across the world. Absolutely shocking. Look, I'm going to leave it there today. The line is a little bit up and down. Apologies to listeners for that. One last question. What tree would you be if you were given a choice, Katie Holton? I think I would be an oak. An oak tree. There you go. The big, majestic... And I'm really sorry about about the wobbly line. Yeah, it's up and down. It's just a little bit up and down in this there and I'm going to leave it for the day. If I were a tree before you go, I'd be a horse chestnut. I don't know what you make of that, but I'd love to be a horse chestnut tree. I just think it's magical. Anyway, the book is wonderful. It's called The Language of Trees by Katie Holden from RD. It is a simply wonderful book. Congratulations on it and nice to talk to you today, Katie. Thank you, Jerry. It's a majestic book. I say that. Uh, the Language of Trees by Katie Holton. I'm going to hold on to it. I'm going to give it away. All right, but I'm just holding it for the moment. Louise, uh, I keep mine. I keep mine in the fridge. Where actually do you keep yours? Um, in It starts off in the cupboard and then moves. It moves. Mm. Does it move to the fridge? Yeah. Right. Yeah, I suppose I'd be like you in a way too. Before I open it, it's in the cupboard. Mm. And then when it's opened, it moves to the fridge. Would you say most people do that? I'd say so. Though, growing up, it was always in the cupboard. And always. Me, yes, and I'd agree with you. That not that interesting? Mm. It was always in the cupboard in our house too. And it never made its way to the fridge. No. It stayed in the cupboard even when it was open. What? Oh, I wonder. Quite a few things did the same. Mm, there you go. Where's yours, ladies and gentlemen, listening to us today? Where do you keep yours? You'll have to stay with us. After the break, we'll tell you what we're talking about. So I take it both of us keep it in the cupboard until we open it and use it and then it goes in the fridge, yeah? Yeah. Would that be fair? That's right. Yet years ago, it was only ever kept in the cupboard. And when Mm. you go to buy this, it's on... Shelves. Shelves. It's Mm. not refrigerated when you actually go to buy it. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. It really is. What are we talking about? We're talking about Heinz tomato ketchup ladies and gentlemen where do you keep yours 086-1800-658 by whatsapp or text it's quite simple the press of the fridge where do you keep it um this is uh, this comes from it's made by Kraft Heinz of the company that makes the ketchup and uh they were queried about this last week i think it was and you know, this morning I checked mm-hmm. the bottle. <laughs> I'm nearly eager. Yeah, I got surprised me. Yeah, I got the bottle out of the fridge when we sat and Louise were talking about this, and it says uh, "store in a cool place, once opened, refrigerate." Mm. Has so, it always said that? I wonder. I wonder, but that's what it says on the bottle now. You should refrigerate it. Now, here's the thing: if you go to a restaurant, they can be sitting on the table. Yeah. 
in a restaurant. Now, you would take it that there's a day? quick turnover. Mm. You know what I mean? That it's used quickly, more than in the house as well. And there's the case for like chilling a bottle of wine, like we talked to Rick Cronje about on Friday, don't over chill it, that when it comes out too cold, you're not getting the You're not getting the true flavour. You know what I mean? You're just getting the coldness of it as well. That's on the, mm. the other hand. Um, but anyway, that's what the bottle says. Refrigerate after opening. And you know what Kraft did then? Mm. After the query, they sent a survey out to people who like Heinz tomato ketchup, my favourite in the whole world. Mine too. Um, and guess what? When they, they let it run for a few days. So here's what happened. 63.2% uh, of people said fridge. Mm. 36.8% said cupboard or press. Mm. So two thirds for the fridge, one third for the the press. Interesting though that they did the survey after they say on the bottle to keep it in the fridge. Mm. Once opened, I don't know why they did. That. Yeah, that's an interesting question, is unless right. it's not opened. Yeah, um, but I think everybody keeps bottles of sauce and stuff in the fridge once they're open. I don't think they? so. I think everybody does. Yeah, I think everybody keeps the bottles in the fridge, don't they? Yes, they do. Once it's opened. The other thing is, Louise Heinz themselves had say have said because of its natural acidity, it's stable on the shelf. Mm. Uh, but they're saying that you should refrigerate it after opening to maintain the quality of the product. Okay. You, know, you know, that's that's their modus, that's their thinking behind it. Fridge or cupboard, mm. where do you store yours? Heinz tomato ketchup, we absolutely love it. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text if you care to get in touch with us on this wee trivia on the show this afternoon. From five on your late lunch this Monday afternoon. Now, isn't that interesting? A number of messages saying, definitely not the fridge, Jerry. It takes the taste away. Keep it in the press. Now, Louise, there mm, you go. That's and unusual. A number of people saying that for sure. I think it'd be safe enough on the press. You know what I mean? Mm. You know, as long as it's not there four years. <laughs> Opened. <laughs> Louise, how could it be there? How could it be there four days or four weeks when you and I love it so much? There's not a chance. There ain't a chance. There are other things that would be in your press well out yes. of date and years and years there for sure. But Heinz tomato ketchup? I don't think so. I don't think it'd last. It's that popular. But there you go. Some people keep it in the press. Others keep it in the fridge. Whatever tickles your fancy. I don't think it'd do you any harm. But just to say that the manufacturers say refrigerate after open. And as you were saying, same would apply to mayo, wouldn't it? Mayonnaise. Mayonnaise. Same thing. Oh, wire sauce. Is your, fridge, is your fridge full of bottles and yes. containers? And you, you need a container to put the bottles in. And then don't when, you? Yeah. And then when I look at them, they say use within three weeks. You know that thing? I use yeah. within. Yeah. Do people actually keep to that? Unless it's mouldy like No, you know what I do? I hope ourself is not listening. Every so often when she's not around, I go into the fridge and I look at the ones they've half empty or three quarters mm. full and it says use within three weeks. I wash them all out and recycle the bottles. Hmm. I don't leave them in the fridge. I take you on board if it's been open for three months and you're supposed to eat it within a week of purchase. If it looks okay, it smells okay, it goes on the salad. <laughs> in my house. <laughs> there you go. Anyway. Tastes better after th- four months. Horses <laughs> will I'll tell you how Louise is looking the picture of health. It must be to do with all the other things. I am pickled. <laughs> fermented. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> She's from the college of sergeants. They're going to do an examination on her, that's for sure. Anyway, up next on Late Lunch, I'm looking forward to meeting my next guest. She's a wonderful businesswoman. She's had such success over the years since she opened her first business back in 2006. Lorraine Heskin, the CEO of Gourmet Food Parlour, is here next. My next guest employs over 250 people, is it now at this stage? It is indeed at her businesses in Dublin, Galway and now County Meath. She is so successful. She's been recognised on numerous occasions and I'm delighted to have her in studio with me today. Lorraine Heskin, CEO of Gourmet Food Parlour. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. It's great to have you with us this afternoon. Do you know the first thing I noticed about you? You set up in 2006, Dunleary, your first restaurant. You were out in New York, were you, for a few years first? Yes, Did yes. you pick up a lot out there? Well, I did, I think. And that's where I think a lot of the inspiration for Gourmet Food Parlour has come from, was my five years working in New York. I worked in the food business there, and that wasn't my previous background. So it was incredible how I just naturally progressed into that industry over there. Uh, worked for a brilliant company called Irish food distributors in New York got to travel the East Coast and the West Coast and then I moved on to work as a broker for a manufacturer and specialty food business which was incredible experience for I was only in my early 20s so it was an exceptional experience but what I loved was I got to work with so many food businesses we got to entertain clients I just loved the whole positive vibe in America I loved the customer service and the experience of it all and that's where the spark of it all came from and home you come. Why Dunleary? Why was you Dunleary your first place? You said I'm going to open here. Well, I moved when I moved back from New York. I went to work for Jacob Fruitfield Food Group mm. at a time when Michael Carey had just bought Jacobs from Danone, and he had owned Fruitfield Foods. So that was an incredible experience in itself. So for two or three years, I was their sales and manage, uh, sales and export marketing manager okay. uh, and sales manager. But I, I moved into Dunleary, and during that time, I decided, look, it's now or never. If I don't open my own business now, I'll never open it. So that's where it all transpired. And at the time, as we know, 2006, everything was thriving and the Celtic Tiger was all in full bloom and everyone was having a wonderful time. And literally, I say to people, I think I found the last unit that was available in the whole country to rent because, and it just automatically transpired that it was in the place that I lived. But I found a little unit off a side street, off a side street in Dunleary and that's where the business was born. It began there. Mm. Now you said everything was flying in 2006 and you could couldn't get a space Mm. within a short space of time you could get anywhere because this economy went through the floor. It did. What did did. you do? It did. You know, I suppose from the very start, I could see there was a demand for the brand. So even the small inception of Gourmet Food Parlour, it was a 25-seater cafe, as I Mm. say, off a side street, off a side street. But the philosophy was lovely that, that, that we started the business with, and that was to support local producers, support Irish, have this kind of a, a lovely atmosphere where people were coming in. So for, for, from the very start, we saw, as I always say, a demand for the brand. But that quickly fell within 12 to 18 months because the recession hit and you could feel it trickling in slowly but surely. The queues that were out the door at lunchtime would start to minimise. People Mm. weren't coming out three or four times a week for lunch. That was reducing significantly. So as it transpired, you know, I I had already expanded the business. I'd opened one in, uh, I went from the south side to the north side, opened one in Swords and and I could see that there was there was changes in the consumer demand. So you have to adapt to those changes. And what I did was I worked with a consultant and I 
I stepped outside of the business and I looked from the outside in and I decided with myself, I said, OK, I've put so much money into this. This is my heart and soul. This is the team, the effort, the brand, everything. There's a future for this. But how are we going to get through this right now? And what I what I kind of came across was we were only open during the day. We were paying bills 24-7, 365, but we were open, say, from half eight to five o'clock or whatever the case may be. So we started bringing in tapas nights to bring in extra revenue. I invested some money into the units and I brought them from a cafe to more of a higher standard. And we increased the spend per head. We increased the seating capacity. We looked at takeaway. We looked at catering business. And that's how we that's how we survived through those years, to be honest, mm. was really knuckling down and focusing on the on the business. And, you know, when you're in the hospitality business, mm. did you feel the takeoff again? Did you understand, you know, that this was going to go again? And of course, you've expanded massively since. And were mm. you ready to ride that wave at that stage? Oh, absolutely. Without without a doubt. And I think I've always been ready to, to continue to grow the business at, a, at a, I suppose, at a pace and a level that's that I feel personally able to achieve, but also that's financially achievable as well. And, that, and that's not too much pressure on the business or on the team, because at the end of the day, you know, Gourmet Food Parlour is over the door of every restaurant, but no business and certainly in hospitality, no hospitality business is any good without the team that's behind them. And I say that and if any of my team are listening, they know the success of the brand is 100% down to their dedication and commitment. We have staff that are working on the team since its inception, 17 years ago this month, which is incredible. And I consider myself so lucky to have people around me that love the business so much and want it to succeed. So we're always ready to grow. But I am mindful that, you know, growth is very important, but it has to be realistic and it has to be at a pace that you feel your brand is able to live up to as well. I'm so delighted to hear you say that because, (laughs) and I'm sure your teams are as well, because I've been reading a good bit about you and I noticed this about you, that you value every single member of your team. Mm. You put so much into them. You're always talking to them. Progression in the careers is the big thing for you as Mm. well. You're asking them how they are and you you listen to them as well. Can I say this to you? There are an awful lot of businesses don't do that. Well, you know, I, I, I suppose I've learned so much over the years, and the, the 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 greatest thing for me is that is to try and be a leader of um, that people kind of you know are proud to work for, and that's very important to me. But I feel like like I have. To people on the team who came in as a kitchen porter who are now a head chef in one of my restaurants and a better head chef you'll never find in a day's walk I have people who came in as a waitress in a deli people and they continue on they're now working in our finance department I'm just so proud of everybody and their and their own paths to progression and that's down to them and their ambition and their determination and they make me want to be a better leader and want to provide a better workplace for them you know and that that's the key for me and I'm, I feel so lucky to be in a position to be able to do that and you've also said if somebody wants to do what they do ad infinitum, you're happy with that too. You know, if somebody's comfortable. Absolutely. You know, not to yeah. want to. You don't have to grow. You, don't. you can just be happy in your own role. Vitally important. Um, you mentioned restaurant and food and all that goes with it. You diversified as well, didn't you? You, you had to, you know, with this business, mm. you know, you got gifts and Irish gifts. And talk to me about this diversification mm. you did and why. Well, I suppose going back to the very start, yeah. you know, we opened as a cafe. So mm. it was daytime. Then we kind of moved into more takeaway. Then we started the catering business. Yes. So the catering came from a phone call one day where they said, would you provide some catering for a, a sports team? And we said, sure, we will, of course, no problem whatsoever. 
whatever. And that started into something that kind of developed on a long term basis. Then we tendered for some business. We got some corporate business, you know, platters and into some medical reps in different countries. And then the whole word spread. So we rented out this unit, Bill Cullen's old place in the, in the Balheary Road in Swords. And we started our catering business rented out a few vans and put some people on the road and that's how it started. We now have fantastic facility in Santry um, in Dublin, in North County Dublin uh, where we employ over 50 people. Uh, we're going to take the unit next door and expand it um, and our catering business, we're Ireland's number one sports caterer now and we're, we also have some fantastic corporate uh, contracts as well. But we had to diversify into that and then it kind of naturally and organically grew from there. Um, takeaway obviously was, a, was, a, was mm. a big part of our business. Smaller part of it now but it's still very much part of the umbrella um, and then also we diversified during Covid uh, with the gifting Gift, business yes. that was to keep jobs going to be again, honest with you. Again that was yeah. you know again going outside and looking in and thinking yeah. what can I what do? What can I do? I can't let people go I can't it's not in my nature and I don't let people down and I don't let our customers down we have the loyalist customers they are so loyal to our brand and to our business and you can never forget about that and, and Covid for every business and every person individually was about growth and survival and just surviving this time but coming out of it with with something intact and we continue to fight and grow during that and part of it was setting up our gifting business Gourmet Gifts which supports all the amazing Irish suppliers and producers in this country of which there are so many as we know and we're so proud of it just so so proud of it yeah and more recently so I had it on my list here the Celtic Tiger crash then the Covid and all in between of course as well and now this you know, huge rise in your operating costs with the war as a fallout from the war that seems, it doesn't seem to be easing at all. What about coping with that? No doubt about it. It's very difficult for, for any business to come out of COVID and face these challenges again, you know. And I think it's 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 a hard thing to say, but it does, you, you know, your coping skills become a lot easier to, to deal with these because you nearly expect them. But at the end of the day, you have to think fast because the responsibility as a business owner with bills and overheads and staff and etc. It's huge and you have to diversify, continuously diversify. But so what we have done is, you know, you can't pass those costs directly onto the customer. It's not you're not you it's not just not realistic so you have to look at everything and I and I spoke about this actually earlier on today in that you know for example there's increased costs in food but sometimes you might need to uh, you know adapt your menus um, adapt your menus to ensure that maybe you source alternative foods but you don't use your philosophy as a business and you don't ever, the quality is always going to be there. Um, but we look at increasing sales as well. That's always the number one thing for me is how can we get extra business so we don't, so we can maybe diversify and look at our costs as an overall business. You, you, you can't feel upset and you can't feel sorry for yourself because there's just no time for that. You, re, you need to put plans in motion and you nearly need to be two or three steps ahead of yourself at any given time because something will always come down the line and that is the optimum is to always be those two or three steps ahead not always possible but you can plan for it (laughs) (laughs) let me take a short break I want you to stay with me will you Lorraine Heskin is with me she's CEO of Gourmet Food Power and we have lots more to talk about after this break stay with us 250 people expansion uh, you're living in Dunshockley now and you're open Mm. there as well how big can you go or how big do you want to go or where do you, you know, for someone like you who's a driven person and, you know, your appreciation of your staff and your people, where, where are you headed to? Where, where's, where can this go to? I'd love to be able to answer that question directly because I don't think I've actually ever uh, come to a final decision <laughs> with myself personally. But, but what I do know is that I know how far 
I can take things myself. Um, 17 years in business, um, we were in a very lucky position to be able to bring in a managing director last year um, to allow us to continue to grow and expand. And growth and expansion doesn't necessarily have to be, I'm going to open 100 restaurants. Mm. You know, I think the value of the brand is so strong now that there are lots of concepts within the brand Gourmet Food Parlour and Gourmet Gifts that we can expand on. Um, The catering division is very strong and is in high demand, which is wonderful. So we're going to expand that and we're going to open in the west of Ireland as well a catering division there which we're super excited about my hometown is Galway uh, and I have a restaurant there too so that's wonderful um, we're looking at some drive through concepts for the brand as well so like a gourmet food parlour express maybe like a drive through um, and and there are plans to open um, a few new restaurants as well during the summer this year. Uh, we can't say the locations quite yet, but um, we'll continue to grow, as I, as I always say, at a nice steady pace um, mm. that the team and the brand and the business itself are able to cope with. We're getting lovely messages here for you. We uh, really are. We are. Honestly, let you. me just read. It's just popping in here as I speak. Well done, Lorraine. What a fantastic interview. I'm delighted to have GFP in Dunshocklin. You are a true inspiration woman. That's uh, from Rachel. And I'm delighted to hear you on the radio today. And there's another one there from Sean. There's another one just popping in as I speak. I'm not surprised they're impressed by you. Many people are impressed by you, including EY, Entrepreneur of the Year finalist. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> Woohoo is right. <laughs> what about that? Oh, it's been it's been amazing. I mean, probably one of my own personal highlights, um, not for myself, but just you know, representing the business and for the recognition of the brand that everybody has worked so hard for. I'm so happy for the team and for the brand and so proud to be able to represent everybody. I hope I do it in the best possible way um, in the build up to the finals um, in September and then yes. the finalists, uh, the winners are announced in November. Oh. So it's been it's been absolutely incredible and credit to, to EY, the Entrepreneur of the Year programme is a sensational programme. 26 years running in Ireland right now. Um, over over 600 alumni in that programme and to be part of it is an absolute honour and privilege. Um, I mean, when you think, look at the statistics of it, that alumni um, generate over 25 billion in revenue um, and, and employ over a quarter of a million people in the island of Ireland. So it's an exceptional programme that um, is is recognised worldwide. You see, people don't often realise that we need people like you to make things happen. And if those things don't happen, well, then, unfortunately, in the economy, mm. it doesn't happen. There is no, you know what I mean, jobs, basically, you know what I mean? Yeah, Livelihoods absolutely. for people, families, etc. Mm. Um, you know, the EY thing is a magnificent, it, it really is a magnificent accolade. But bringing it back up home, what about the Mead Style Awards? What did that oh, mean to you? Listen, we were, del- oh, it meant the world to us. And, you know, I say hi to everybody in Dunshockland and we're so proud to have a restaurant there in such an amazing village and an amazing community. And to win that award means so much to all of us as a team. I mean, it motivates everybody all the more. And there was some exceptional uh, businesses at that at that at that evening and we're delighted and mm. proudly have it up on our wall in the restaurant <laughs> for everyone to see there you are it all starts at home doesn't it, it. your adopted home now and i do want to say back to the ey you are in the established business category which Correct. is a hell of a category you know what i mean there are big hitters in there and you're among them come back to your staff and your business and your business ethos don't have to remind you, we hear people all the time struggling to get chefs, struggling to get people into the hospitality business, mm. that, you know, the hours and the unsociable and all that. Talk mm. to me about that for a minute. When you hear people saying that, what do you say to them? 
Well, look, at this is what I would say. Um, it's very, the hospitality sector is very, very close to my heart. I'm very proud to work in it. I'm very proud to represent it in a small way through Gourmet Food Parlour. Um, but what we look to aspire at Gourmet Food Parlour is an environment and a culture that people are proud to work in and that they can progress in their careers, but that they can that can make a good living for themselves and, and, be, and be very happy. As we said earlier on, not everybody has to work up to the top, but you can just have your job and you can be so happy and so proud of the achievements in your surroundings and that's very important to to hit home. It can be difficult to get good people, absolutely, but what I will say is there's a couple of things I'll say about that. We have an incredible HR department headed up by Laura. Um, They do a phenomenal job in the recruitment process but it's about keeping the good ones afterwards. It's about, again, and I probably repeat myself so much, but it's about providing this environment for somebody who again want to come to work every day and they want to progress or they want to enjoy their job and that is vital vitally, vitally important. Um, there's always new ways to employ people um, and there's many, many ways of doing it, not even just recruiting through online websites or using recruiters or whatever, but there's lots of other ways. And again, it's like being in business. You need to be two or three steps ahead of yourself in terms of trying to recruit good people. But when you find them, you have to keep them. <laughs> Are you always yourself keeping yourself up to date in the wider world with what's going on? You know, or you know what I'm saying? Mm. E- education through life. That I, I'd say you're somebody that's, you know, with yeah. your finger on the pulse of that. Would that be true? Absolutely. And mm. I think you have to be. Mm. But what I will say is the greatest lessons I've learned in life are by making mistakes. It's not about achieving something or, or having success. You learn so much from that. But learn from others and surround yourself with good people. Like I love to be connected with people, not even just on the EY programme, the people I've met and the stories that we've shared together. I've learned so much from that just even this year. But in life in general, talking to other business people, networking, reading, travelling, you know, meeting new people and continuously forcing yourself to be to, to, to go on that trajectory and to keep growing yourself as a person. I always say yesterday's over. Today is a new day. You know, tomorrow we've lots more to learn and it's it's exciting. I, I love this. I love this business so much. I love it more than I did when I started started 17 years ago and I can't wait to see what the, what, what the next year's is. You exude spring. passion. Do you live <laughs> at night, noon and morning? Oh, is there downtime uh, for Lorraine Heskin? What do you like to do to knock off? Or well, do you? Do you take time oh, out? I do, of course. Will you stop? Oh, I do, yeah. I know I do. And, and to be honest with you, I don't really, I suppose, look at, at Gourmet Food Parlour as a job. It is important to, to switch off, but I do love it so much. I sometimes find it hard to switch off. But look, at I love to look at spend time with family. I'm a mom. I'm a wife. I'm a sister. I'm a daughter. I'm all of, and a friend and all of those mm. things. And I have amazing people in my life. I love spending time with people. Love going for walks, love traveling, all of those things. Love socializing, uh, love GAA, love going to Crow Park. You name it, all those things, and uh, I love I love it all. It's very important to try and have that balance. Some weeks it's easier than others to do that, but it is very important that I do mind myself, but mentally and physically, because there's a lot of pressure and a lot of demands on me, and I want to be there for all the people who need me every day and every week. Will Galway do it? Well, are they going to are they going to get across the line? Do you think? I think it's going to be a phenomenal game. It, I think yeah. it's going to be a great game, and uh, I think they've got great momentum after the last match. They've learned a lot when they, in the final seconds of that match against Kilkenny, where they let the goal in, and I mean heartbreak for everybody in Galway that day. But look at to their credit, they came back. They won the next match against Tipperary. So we'll see. We'll see what it's going to be a tough game, but I think they have it in them. They have oh, it in them. Oh, they have. Got for leave sure. a boo. <laughs> and you can't beat. I just think Harlan is the most wonderful. Oh, 
oh, game amazing. in the world. It you is. know, it's just, unfortunately to say, it's streets ahead of the football in the GA at the minute until they tweak that a, a little bit too. Anyway, onwards and upwards. Good luck to you with the EY. Congratulations on all you've achieved. I know your people love you. I, I, I know that and I understand why today, <laughs> now that you've joined me on the show, you've given me a real lift and I'm sure our listeners today, oh, you've you. just lifted the mood. You really have. Thank you And so I much. understand why you're so successful. Thank I'll you. see you again, I promise you. Love to. Lorraine Love to. Heskin, thank you, so much. thank you very much for joining me. Thank you. Take care. Keep your Heinz tomato ketchup in the cupboard or in the fridge. Very confusing says a listener press to fridge fridge to press I think overall Jerry fridge is best for me keep it simple anyway wherever you keep it enjoy it I just have it on everything under the sun I know somebody puts it on the stew somebody else who has it on their curry Heinz tomato ketchup and a curry on a stew there you go anyway it, they love it so much that's the way it is now our competition today is for tickets to Bellius Town races and there are three evening meetings this week the 6th, the 7th and the 8th and if you want your tickets the best way to get them is to go on to belliestownraces.ie I've a couple of pairs to give away today on the show we were talking to Tommy Dowd earlier on about the wonderful win for his syndicate owned horse Mashur at the Curra on Saturday and I did ask you the question for the tickets who trains Monsieur, it is the wonderful Johnny Murtha. And thanks to everybody who was in touch with us on that one. The tickets to Bellystown today are going to David Heary and John Reed. Well done to both of you. Go and enjoy the races there. It'll be a fabulous few days on the hill, as they say. Now, what time is it? Just coming up to about eight minutes past three. It's ticked on to nearly nine on late lunch. And if you're with us every day, you know that this sort of thing happens. Five, four, three, two, one. Counting down the top five songs from this week of yesteryear. And today it's... The number five from this very week in 1987. And when I tell you about this song, it only reached number four. So one more place it popped up on the UK charts back then this week. And well, it'll be the following week in 1987. It rose to number four, but no higher. It was a different story in the United States. It reached number one in America. But it took 17 weeks for it to get there, an eternity, four months. Uh, And it was the longest crawl to number one in US chart history since the Eurythmics Sweet Dreams back in 1983. It comes from the album called Introducing the Hardline, according to the man who sings it, Mr. Terence Trent Darby. Yes, our number Five from this week in 1987. Do you remember it? Oh, it's a cracker altogether. It's wishing well. Terence Trent Darby. Our number five from this week in 1987 with Wishing Well on your late lunch. I just don't think you can call him a one-hit wonder. You could nearly say he was, but 
He had not a lot. He's produced quite a number of albums as Terence Trent Darby. His other big hit was a number four in 88, Sign Your Name. But that was it, really. But then he decided to change his name. He absolutely got rid of the Terence Trent Darby thing altogether. He said on such and such a date, that person no longer existed. And he changed his name to Sonata Maitreya. Uh, is his name now and he recorded albums under that name as well but there you are we remember him as Terence Trent Darby and that big hit in this neck of the woods and number one in the United States of America the number four coming your way tomorrow on late lunch and so on until we hit number one on Friday afternoon final break of this Monday on late lunch we started with golf and we're finishing with golf we've uh, bookmarked it on each end because Headford Golf Club in County Meath they have two fantastic courses there but there's a huge tournament coming back to Headford the end of July 27th to the 30th yes the Irish Challenge from the uh, Challenge Tour an event on the Challenge Tour will be staged there and after the uh, break we're chatting to one of the uh, players who'll be taking part Conor Purcell Four years on, the Challenge Tour returns to Headford Golf Club in County Meath. It's there from the 27th until the 30th of the month. That's July. And joining me to have a chat about it is one of the players who plays on the tour, Connor Purcell. Hello, Connor. Hi, Gary. How are things? Really good. Thank you for joining me today. Hey, anyone that comes from Port Marnock Golf Club has to be able to hit a ball, Connor. Yeah, we do. Uh, not a, not a bad place to grow up, uh, learning the game for sure. I oh, know, fantastic. Probably Ireland's best course in in Port Marnock. Anyway, you're back in Kells on the tour, bringing it all back home. The end of the month. Tell us about the Challenge Tour, where it sits in terms of the overall structure of golf here in Europe. Yeah, so the Challenge Tour is just a, a stepping stone to kind of get onto the DP World Tour. It sits just below it, so. Uh, at the start of the year, everyone's trying to get inside the top 20, which um, earns promotion up onto the DP Tour. And um, yeah, it's just, it's it's a great tour. It's it's full of a lot of really competitive golfers and the standard is only increasing year by year. And um, it's been, been a good year so far. The road to Mallorca is what yours is called and 20 players aiming for those places. God, it's a tough ask, isn't it? Because it's a highly competitive tour because everyone out there can play and they all want that card, don't they? And you do too on the main tour. Yeah, 100%. I think I think when you go out there and you play week in, week out, you notice how, how strong um, the pro ranks is and... Uh, on any given week, it seems like anyone out there can actually win the event. So it's it's just about clocking up a few weeks where you finish inside the top five and um, have a few consistent finishes throughout the year. And like you said, earn those uh, those precious cards at the end of the year. Where is it at the moment when it comes to Kells? Are you halfway through the year or are there many events under your belt so far? Yeah, we're probably right around the halfway mark. I'd say around 14 events have been played. Um, I want to say there's 29, I think, on the schedule this year. So um, right at that halfway mark, and it's always nice to to come back in a busy schedule and play in front of some home crowds and see some familiar faces. The two courses I mentioned at uh, Headford, and this one designed by Christy O'Connor Jr., uh, and it's a hell of a course because it's the new one as we know it, even though it's opened since 2001. Have you played it in the past? Yeah, I've been fortunate enough. We've 
we've a good uh, good bit of family connection from that neck of the woods. My sister lives down in Kells, so um, my dad was also pro back in the 80s there for, I think, a spell of eight years. So I'm well familiar with the place and I've been fortunate enough to, to play it a good few times. So um, it'll be nice to go back to somewhere that I just have kind of familiar surroundings and I know how the course plays and won't have to do too much work on the on the practice days. Local knowledge. Connor, you have it for sure. We'll be watching you. Earlier on the show, actually, I opened the show with Alex Maguire from Leytown Bettystown, who's qualified uh, from the amateur ranks for the Open Championship at Hoylake. And I suppose I can ask you this too. The step up, the transition from the top of the amateur game into the professional game, is it a huge ask? It's not really. I think we're seeing nowadays that a lot of the top amateurs have what it takes to to come out straight away and be able to compete in the pro ranks and even win events straight off the bat. Um, I think if you asked me that 10 years ago, it's probably a bigger step up. But I think nowadays, the likes of Alex and anyone who's looking to turn pro are are, are well good enough to, to be able to compete straight away when they come out. That's good to hear. Encouraging indeed. And I mentioned to him, he'll be, of course, he'll be aiming to win the Open, the silver medal. I mentioned to him for the amateur and I saw names like Justin Rose, Matt Fitzpatrick have won the silver medal at the Open Championship. But those names, along with Tyrrell Hatton, Tommy Fleetwood and Alex Noren, familiar names now, they've all come from your tour to step up to the main tour. Yeah, and like I said, as, as it's just one one notch below the European tour, it's... Um it's definitely a breeding ground for success. I think we've seen this year, I think three of the guys who who graduated last year from the Challenge Tour have already won. And the most recent being Tom McKibben just a couple of weeks ago. So, mm. um, yeah, it's definitely, it's a hunting ground for kind of producing you to, to be able to form on the big stage when you get there. Is it more pressurised, you know, to try and get into that top five each week, you know, and keep going? And, of course, it costs a lot to play on the tour. I take it sponsorship and family support and everything is vital. Yeah, it's massive. Golf is its not the cheapest game in the world to pursue. Um, but thankfully, I'm very, very fortunate to be part of Golf Ireland, which is um, a huge contributor to to my funds for the year and, they give us great opportunity just to to be able to travel and like you said not be worrying too much about um what things are costing for for the whole year so um yeah i'm very fortunate in that regard and only if i start playing better we'll start making more money which would be nice yeah that's great to hear that because that is a real concern and it is a pressure that you don't need when you're trying to go out there each week compete and and win for sure so it's going to happen July 27th to the 30th on the championship course at Headford Golf Club in County Mead and as uh, Connor's been saying there you're going to see guys who you will see in the future playing on the main European tour so you know the talent that's coming to Headford Golf Club is simply outstanding well look I wish you well and I hope your local knowledge comes to uh, bear on the championship there later in the month and that you do really well and you get one of those top spots and earn a few bob as well, Connor. Thanks very much. You're very welcome and good luck to you in Kells and with all you do for the year ahead. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Not at all. Thanks, Jerry. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. That's Connor Purcell there on the DP Challenge Tour coming to Headford Golf Club. I'll say again, the 27th to the 30th. Check it out. 
and if you want to see potential and fellas who are going to really make it big in the future it's the place to be to support that championship and they'd love to see you there hopefully the weather is good for them and wonderful facilities they have over there to cater for a big big event like this Anyway, that's almost a lot in late lunch today. Wimbledon has started. The tennis is on, yes. And we'll be all tuned in for the next couple of weeks. Good luck to everybody there. Great to see it back and on again today. Hope they get the weather in London. Anyway, that's it on uh, late lunch today. Stay with us. The Drive coming next here on LMFM Radio. And we leave you this afternoon in the company of the wonderful Pink. Yes, we're in the Pink at late lunch. See you tomorrow. <laughs>